4: oh my god that's a lot of blood
1: nature's deadliest organisms this could result in death they can hijack our bodies this creature eats human blood disable our immune systems it took a huge toll on her and eat us from within
5: there's no escape
1: For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Armando and Gloria Cora live in Shelton, Connecticut with their 25-year-old daughter, Cassandra.
6: I couldn't ask for better parents. They have a very strong relationship. Gloria and Cassandra and I have a very tight family bond because
4: we are such a small family. We've always been so close. Everything we have done, we have done. All together.
1: Gloria and Cassandra run a fitness studio. Armando is in the National Guard and works as a captain in the Bridgeport Fire Department.
4: Armando's been in the fire department for 25 and a half years.
6: He always liked those dangerous jobs. Well, I joined the Army in 1986. The Army is a very large part of my life.
3: I'm very proud of my father for serving, I admire him for it.
4: The three of us together, we close that circle. We have to be connected.
1: It's a summer night, and Armando has just returned home from two weeks of training with the National Guard.
3: My father approached me and my mom when we were watching TV said that he felt like he was coming down with something. He was just still a little worn out from his training. I think I remember making fun
4: of him, actually. I was like, who gets sick in the summertime?
1: Gloria takes his temperature.
4: Armando had 104 temperature. It was very high. The fever was concerning me.
1: Armando heads to bed early. When Gloria joins him later, she is surprised by what she finds.
4: I walk into the room, and there was a pile of wet clothes. I could hear him moaning and moving a lot in bed. And I never had seen anything like that before.
6: I was sweating profusely throughout the night. My clothing was soaked. I had to change my shirt. At this point, I was kind of still
4: thinking, it's just the flu. I'm just going to wait this thing out. But
1: Gloria thinks otherwise.
4: He was just sweating, sweating, sweating. I was getting concerned. I knew something else besides a fever was happening to him.
1: The next morning, Armando heads to his primary care doctor.
6: She tested me to see if I had the flu, and that came up negative. Well, I thought maybe I had caught some sort of other virus or something at that point. And before I left the doctor's office, she gave me a prescription for an antibiotic. But when
1: Armando returns home, Gloria is taken aback.
4: He took the medication, and he got worse and worse and worse. It was a little frustrating to not know
6: what was going on because I just seemed to get sicker. That's when I started
4: getting very scared.
1: Armando remains in bed for three more days. Then his mysterious illness takes a new turn.
4: He called me into the bathroom. He goes, honey. I'm like, what? What's going on now? He said, look.
6: There's little small red bumps all over my back.
4: I was really, really concerned. Inside me, I knew Something is happening. Something is changing in his body.
1: They apply ointment to the rash in hopes of clearing it up. But the odd string of symptoms continues.
4: My mother started developing this pain on the side. He kept saying, honey, my side hurts. I'm like, wow, that's kind of strange. That's new. That happened. Even to walk was painful. He's telling
3: us that he's scared. Then I know whatever is going on with him is very serious.
1: Armando endures another restless night. And the next morning, he finds something else alarming.
6: I was looking in the mirror, and I noticed that I didn't look
4: quite the way I normally do. He said, look at my face. I said, yeah, I'm looking at your face. Look at my eyes. I said, yes, I'm looking at your eyes. Are they yellow? His eyes, they were yellow.
1: Also known as jaundice, yellowing of the skin and eyes can often occur when there is a problem with the liver. It can be a sign of blood disease, liver disease, or infection.
3: He looks so sick. My mom came in and she said, I'm
6: taking her dad to the ER.
1: There, the doctors run a battery of tests.
6: They tested my urine and said that they found blood and bacteria in my urine.
4: Oh my God, that's all blood. It's a lot of blood. He had a UTI, you know, a tract infection.
6: Urinary
1: tract infections are typically caused by bacteria. Approximately 40% of women and 12% of men will have a UTI at some point in their lives.
3: I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me that a UTI
4: would cause all the other symptoms. At this point, in my opinion, my husband is dying and I need to know what's going on.
6: I think she was reaching her breaking point and... She went and raised a little
4: hell. I lost it. I completely lost it. I went straight to the nurse's station, and I said, someone needs to call the doctor. I need to see the doctor.
1: Internal medicine specialist Dr. Zane Saul takes on the case. He has a whole
7: constellation of findings that are not simple to put together. He was in a lot of pain and his heart rate was through the roof. His red blood cell count is also very low for a healthy young man. And this raises the concern that he's losing blood and
1: we don't know where. A low red blood cell count can indicate a number of conditions, including anemia, kidney failure, and internal bleeding. At this point, it was very clear
7: that he needed to stay in the hospital. We didn't know which direction this was going to take.
4: Oh, it was very frustrating for me and my mom. She wanted an answer what was going on. None of you know. All these tests that you've been doing, all the poking and putting through all these machines, nobody has an answer yet.
1: To see what's going on internally, doctors order a CAT scan. The results show something unexpected. His spleen was enlarged. The spleen filters out damaged blood cells and becomes enlarged when it is seriously infected. There was a question that it had ruptured.
7: If his spleen was about to rupture, that's a surgical emergency. You can bleed to
6: death. I'm sorry, it's just... I knew that things were pretty grave for me.
7: This was not what we were expecting, but certainly this was probably what his pain in his side was all about. So this threw a red flag into everything. It's scary when you have a mysterious illness and you don't know what's causing it, and you're just getting worse.
4: I don't think my husband was going to come out of the hospital alive. I'm sorry. I just think about that moment, and, and, um, and I say, you know... I guess this is it. I think he's going to die, and we're not going to find out
0: what he's dying of. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Armando Cora is in the hospital on the brink of death. To solve the puzzling case, Dr. Zane Saul digs a little deeper into Armando's history. We learned from the patient that he had just spent a
7: couple of weeks in a military type training where he actually lived in the woods. And now we're concerned that he could have definitely picked up something from the environment. So the infectious disease team is called to see the patient.
1: Dr. Saul sends Armando's blood for a new round of tests. And after two days in the hospital, the family finally gets some news.
6: There's about six doctors standing in my room. And they said to me, Mr. Cora, we know what's wrong with you.
7: Armando had a parasite called Babesia microti, leading to a disease called Babesiosis.
6: You know, to think there was something foreign inside of me living was, was pretty creepy. I
4: never heard about Babesia before. I can see by just being with my husband, it was a very dangerous disease.
3: I really thought, that I was going to lose him, so I I prayed.
1: Inside Armando's body, the Babesia parasites reproduce in his bloodstream, destroying his red blood cells in the process. The parasitic infection sends his spleen into overdrive as it tries to filter out the damaged blood cells, leading to his side pain, staggering fever, and jaundice. This man is sick.
4: This man is very sick. He looked like there was no life on him. It really crossed my mind that I may not make it through this. For the first time in
6: my life, I was truly, truly scared for my life.
8: Babesiosis can be difficult to diagnose, not only because it's so rare, but also because its symptoms resemble those of many other illnesses. Many people who have babesiosis will exhibit only mild flu-like symptoms, But in some cases, it can be life-threatening.
1: For those that do survive, the parasite can cause long-term problems with blood pressure and organ function. Dr. Saul puts Armando on a course of antiparasitic medications. For five days, he remains in intensive care.
3: It was tough. It tore my
4: heart out to see him suffering. I think he just wanted to die be honest with you, because he was a mess. He was a complete mess. I didn't think I could get
6: any sicker than I already was, but I I did get even sicker at that point. It was a rough time. But just as Armando
1: reaches his limit, there is a breakthrough.
7: His fever finally broke. Slowly, he started to feel better. I was able to tell him, this is gone. This parasite is gone, and you're definitely going to get better.
4: That's when I knew I said, yes, he's back. He's going he's gonna to be okay. He will be okay.
1: After five more days in the hospital, Armando is able to go home. The Babesia
8: parasites cycle between two hosts, typically a rodent and a tick. The parasites begin in the salivary glands of an infected tick. When the tick takes a blood meal from a rodent, the Babesia parasites enter the mammal's bloodstream and reproduce. When an uninfected tick bites an infected rodent, the life cycle continues. Though human hosts are a dead end for Babesia parasites, the infection can cause a range of serious medical complications. Armando
1: is convinced he knows where he contracted the parasite.
6: I'm absolutely positive I got it when uh, I was out during my annual training. And, you know, there was a tick that might have been on my clothing, and I never felt it.
1: While ticks are common in the Northeast, Armando's case is highly unusual. Rarely do we get one case a year. Today, Armando is back home and getting on with his life.
3: It was a roller coaster ride that we do not want to get back on at all. The feeling of having my dad back is just, it's just so
4: tremendous. I can't even describe it. It's just pure happiness. It can happen to anybody. You know, life should be appreciated.
6: I don't think I'm ready to go yet, not from a tech at least. Around 900 cases of
8: babesiosis are reported in the United States each year. The majority of cases tend to occur in the Northeast and Upper Midwest. The best way to prevent babesiosis is to avoid getting bitten by a tick. In tick-infested areas, it's recommended to wear long sleeves and pants, use deep-based insect repellent, and always check for ticks.
1: Jesse and Karen Wood live in the rural community of Coryton, Tennessee, with their 15-month-old daughter, Addison. Addison's very
9: energetic. Uh, She doesn't like to sit still. She likes to be on the move and on the go.
10: She's curious and loves to watch and learn new things. And she also loves to be silly and laugh so we have a good time together.
1: (laughs) The couple also have firmly held religious beliefs. As part of his faith, Jesse works as a youth pastor. I want my life to, to bring glory
9: to the Lord, and He's created me, and He's given me purpose.
1: Jesse and Karen's faith touches all aspects of their
9: life. We believe our bodies are the temple of God. The Bible teaches that we're to take care of it, uh, which means exercise, which means eating right, taking care of our body.
10: We try and eat organic when we're able to, you know, just making good choices as far as health goes.
1: The couple takes the most care in what they feed little Addison.
10: She loves drinking milk, that's her first love, and she's loved it ever since she was little.
1: It's a typical afternoon in October. Karen and Jesse are at home getting ready to take Addison on an excursion with the church.
10: We were actually getting ready to go to an apple barn with some friends. I was changing her diaper and just noticed a little bit of a loose stool. She was near a girl that had a stomach virus like just a couple days before. I just changed her diaper as normal and got her dressed and we went to the apple barn that day.
1: But the next morning, while Jesse is at work, Karen notices something odd about Addison.
10: When Addison woke up, I went into her room and she was just standing up in her crib. And she looked pale and her face looked sick. So I was a little bit worried. So I gave her her bottle. She drank it great. She just gulped it down. That was a little bit of a relief. But then just a couple minutes later, she threw it all up. I was like, oh, okay, something is wrong here. She's not feeling well. This is the first time she'd ever had really any big stomach issue.
1: Karen cleans up Addison's vomit, changes her diaper, and then takes her temperature.
10: Her temperature was just around 99 to 100, so it was not extremely high. This is the first time Addison had really been sick.
1: So Karen calls her pediatrician.
10: The doctor just said make sure she's drinking liquid that has electrolytes in it, just to make sure she's getting rehydrated. It was reassuring that the doctor didn't say that I had to go in and see them.
1: Karen keeps Addison well hydrated for the rest of the day. But the following morning, Addison's fever is still there.
10: I went and changed Addison's diaper again and noticed in her diarrhea there was a little bit of blood. I knew it wasn't normal, and it was a big concern to me. So I called Jesse and let him know.
1: Jesse is at work when he gets the call. I thought, well, it's just part
9: of whatever the bug or virus is that she had. Karen didn't want to believe that. She felt like it was something more severe.
10: Mother's intuition was definitely kicking in. I knew something was definitely off and wrong with Addison.
9: Karen typically... Gravitates to the worst case scenario more than I would. So if I was trying to just encourage her not to think the worst too quickly.
10: Jesse is good about reassuring. He always says she's going to be okay and not to worry.
1: A few hours later, Jesse gets home from work.
9: I tried to play with her and tried to cheer her up a little bit, and she just wasn't having it. That was very uncharacteristic of her.
10: She was not really wanting to be touched or bothered. It was very sad for me to see her not want to have fun at all or play.
1: Jesse realizes that his wife is right and that the situation is serious.
9: I felt very helpless that it was obvious there was nothing I could do. I couldn't get her to eat, couldn't get her to drink.
10: I was glad for my husband to be able to see Addison like this. And he could see her really uncomfortable and sick. It broke my heart to see her in that condition.
9: At that point, we both were on the same page. We, we realized that we needed to get some medical help. Her parents get her to the hospital as soon as they can. Her body was twisting, and she was just crying out in pain, and uh, the, the grimacing on her face, you could tell that she was hurting. I wish that there was some way that I could have taken that pain and discomfort and dealt with it myself.
10: I was nervous because I didn't know what she had. She was looked very lifeless.
1: Pediatrician Dr. Laszlo Hope takes on Addison's case. Right away, he notices that she has an unusually dry mouth. These are signs of dehydration. Dehydration occurs when the body doesn't have enough fluids to carry out normal functions. It can be particularly dangerous in young children. It
10: broke my heart again just to see something else that was happening to her little body. They hooked Addison up to fluids to rehydrate her. And so they had to stick an IV in her wrist.
1: Then the doctors continue their examination.
10: They checked Addison's temperature, they checked her blood pressure, her eyes, ears, um, just checked all her vital signs.
1: The doctors take blood and stool samples and send them off to the lab for analysis. While they wait for the results, doctors put Addison on a regimen of antibiotics to combat any potential infection. Doctors continue to monitor Addison's deteriorating condition. The next day, some of the blood test results come back. The red blood count continued to go down lower and lower and lower. When the red blood cell count drops dramatically, the body's vital organs don't receive enough oxygen to function effectively. It was about 40% of her required red cell count, and it was worsening.
10: I just didn't know what was going to happen, and it was a very scary time for me.
9: It was very disturbing. It was heartbreaking, and uh, you don't like to have thoughts like that. I was very concerned as a parent.
1: Jesse and Karen turned to their faith. There was
9: several scriptures that came to mind, but one stood out, which says, in everything give thanks. It would definitely remind me that ultimately God is in control.
10: But when we started to pray and thank God, it was hard for me sometimes.
1: And when Addison's lab tests come in the next morning, their beliefs are tested further. The stool sample came back, the e. coli.
10: E. coli is not what I was expecting it to be. It was serious.
1: I was stunned. Escherichia coli are bacteria that feed on the nutrients in the human gut. Inside Addison's body, the E. coli bacteria latch onto the walls of her intestines, causing severe inflammation and leading to her fever, diarrhea, and bloody stool. And the particular bacterial strain that Addison has is also releasing toxins that destroy her red blood cells, putting her in danger of organ failure.
9: The thought began to enter my mind that this could result in death. She may not make it.
10: I had those moments of, you know, why God was allowing this to happen or why we had to learn this lesson or what he was taking us through.
1: And the antibiotics that doctors have been giving Addison are actually exacerbating the E. coli's
8: toxic effects. Antibiotics can sometimes cause the condition to get worse because some strains of the E. coli bacteria react to medication by releasing toxins into the bloodstream. This flood of toxins damages the red blood cells which then clog the filtering system in the kidneys and that can lead to kidney failure. Antibiotics are big no-no's. The treatment itself could be more damaging to the body
1: than not treating. Dr. Hope immediately takes Addison off the antibiotic regimen, but there's another significant problem.
9: There was no treatment for the E. coli bacteria. It was was disturbing.
10: That was very scary for us. She was going to have to get through this without any medicine.
1: We try to maintain the patient in an acceptable state of health until her own body will be able to fight off the disease. Dr. Hope tries to bolster Addison's immune system with intravenous fluids. But despite his efforts, Addison's body is starting to give out.
10: Addison's red blood count was going down too low and too fast. And if we didn't do anything about it, Addison would die.
1: Death is at the door of becoming life-threateningly serious. The thought of
9: death was always in the back of my mind and I tried to prepare myself.
1: To save her life, Dr. Hope immediately orders a blood transfusion.
10: It was very scary to know that my little girl was gonna have to be hooked up and receive someone else's blood, but this was the only option to save Addison's life.
1: For the next two days, Addison receives multiple blood transfusions. Then, Jesse and Karen notice something incredible. I knelt beside her bed, and
9: she reached up, and she started touching my nose and and, uh, kind of playing with my face.
10: It made me feel great to see Addison, you know, wanting to be herself again, to play. It was just a great sign that she was improving.
1: With the help of the transfusions, Addison Woods' immune system is able to fight off the horrific E. coli infection.
10: I believe it's a miracle. I feel like it was God that healed her.
8: The Lord was answering our prayers, and she was getting better. Some of the most toxic strains of E. coli live in the guts of many farm animals, including goats, sheep, and cattle. And the most common way humans contract the bacteria is by consuming undercooked meat. But in some cases... E. coli bacteria can spread when humans drink unpasteurized milk. And it turns out that's exactly how Addison got it.
9: Addison had been drinking raw milk.
1: It was supposed to be something healthy and something
9: good, but the doctors were confident that that's where she got the E. coli.
10: I felt bad because it was my little girl and I didn't realize it would be that type of a risk.
1: Almost two weeks after being admitted, Addison is strong enough to leave the hospital and go home. We feel like the Lord touched her body and
9: give her the strength that she needed to to fight off that bacteria. Today,
1: Addison is two years old and has made a full recovery.
10: Addison doesn't have any side effects. You would never know she even had gone through all that.
1: But Jesse and Karen have made an important change in how they care for their daughter. We give her pasteurized milk now.
10: Going through... A big trial like this, it strengthened Jesse's and my faith and made us thankful to have each other and have little Addison.
8: Unpasteurized dairy products are 150 times more likely to cause foodborne illnesses than pasteurized dairy products. The best way to avoid contracting E. coli bacteria is to avoid consuming undercooked meat and unpasteurized dairy products. 40-year-old
1: Susie Zoltewicz lives in Gainesville, Florida with her two dogs and her boyfriend, Tom Koziel. They've known each other since they were kids, but only recently reconnected.
11: In 2006, we had our high school reunion, our 20th high school reunion. We figured out that we'd had this mutual attraction through the years.
5: <laughs> I had a huge crush on him. He was absolutely gorgeous. Big, strong, um, brown hair. Tom and I started communicating a lot, and then we became inseparable.
1: Tom runs a tech support company, and Susie is a biochemist.
11: She is super smart. She graduated from Princeton, and then she went to Berkeley and got her Ph.D. from Berkeley.
1: She's just a wonderful lady. It's a winter afternoon, and Tom returns home after running some errands. He goes into the bedroom and finds Susie sprawled out on the bed.
11: I looked at her, and I couldn't see her moving. I thought she had died on me. I had to check to make sure she was breathing, and she was, thank God. I left her sleeping because I assumed that if she was sleeping that hard that she needed to sleep. It spooked me a little bit. I was a little scared. She must have slept 16 hours. But Susie has a very different perspective.
5: I was really tired, and to me, it was just a nap. But Tom seemed alarmed.
11: I didn't know what to think about it.
1: A few weeks later, something else hits her.
11: We are watching television and she was moving around. She just couldn't, she couldn't set herself properly to feel comfortable.
5: My back was hurting and it kept hurting and kept getting more intense until I ended up on the floor in a fetal position and crying because it hurt so much. The pain was like an ice pick jammed into my back.
11: I absolutely hated seeing her that way.
1: Tom convinces Susie to see a doctor. The next day, the doctor does an exam of her back.
5: I described my symptoms and I told him about my back pain. He squeezed certain points and asked me if it hurt. So based upon that and my response... He diagnosed me
1: with fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is a chronic condition characterized by muscle pain, aching joints, and fatigue. There is often no known cause, but it is commonly treated with prescription pain medication.
5: It seemed to make sense. It described my symptoms.
1: Back at home, Tom has his doubts.
11: Uh, This sounds like horse to me. They don't know what's causing the pain, but this is what's going to make it feel better. It made no sense to me.
1: But prescription medication does nothing to lessen her lingering fatigue and mounting body pain.
5: I went back to the doctor and he ordered an MRI. It came back with a diagnosis of arthritis in my lower back. I thought, I'm far too young to have arthritis.
11: We just kept getting different answers for her particular problem that just never quite added up.
5: The doctor suggested a steroid injection I said yes let's do it because I was in so much pain I was willing to try anything
1: she braces herself for the steroid injection in her spine
11: and that needle looked like it was about that big around and I literally heard it puncture her skin
1: initially the injection does seem to work
5: after the shot I felt wonderful
1: But the feeling doesn't last. Later that evening, her condition deteriorates.
5: I started to feel very anxious, as if I'd had an entire pot of coffee.
11: Felt like her heart was going to explode. Her heart would raise, she'd get shallow breath. It took a huge toll on her.
1: Over the coming months, it's not just Susie who bears the burden.
11: Our relationship suffered because of her pain. It's hard to be in the same room with somebody, but be alone at the same time. We were becoming
5: more distant from each other.
1: And Susie's downward spiral pushes them past their breaking point.
11: One day she just said, I got to talk to you. You're not helping me enough. I
5: asked him to move out.
11: What? Where did this come from? It was just extremely, extremely sad. And I wouldn't have left her.
5: It affects your entire life. There's no escape.
1: Tom moves out, and Susie shoulders the burden by herself. A few months later, another strange sensation hits her.
5: I was driving to work, and all of a sudden, there was a click, like a snap in my brain, and I started spinning, like vertigo. I couldn't hold it together anymore. I made the decision to take a leave of absence.
1: In desperation, Susie reaches out to yet another medical professional, Dr. Susan Kolb.
12: I was fairly convinced right away that it was her breast implant.
1: Seven years prior, Susie opted to get breast augmentation surgery, and for a simple reason.
12: I got
5: them to make me feel better. And initially, they they did, in a
12: way.
1: (laughs) But Dr. Kolb believes that Susie's breast implants are contaminated.
12: When these implants fail, we see a lot of debris in there. Most of the patients with contaminated saline implants have between 20 and 30 different symptoms.
1: Dr. Kolb recommends surgery to remove the implants right away.
5: I said, get these implants out of me.
1: In surgery, the doctor's fears are confirmed.
12: We found black fungus inside her implants, which was Aspergillus.
1: Aspergillus is a type of fungus. Inside Susie's breast implants, the saline acts as an incubator, allowing the fungus to thrive beyond the reach of her body's natural defenses. The spores produce toxic chemicals that escape through the implant's valves, enter her bloodstream, and spread across her entire body. Her immune system becomes completely overwhelmed, leading to her chronic fatigue, pain, and vertigo. After the surgery, Dr. Kolb delivers the horrific news.
5: The thought that there was mold living in my body it was repulsive. I could use a tissue, actually. It's horrible.
8: Once they get inside the human body, Aspergillus spores can be very hard to eradicate. If the mold spreads to the major organs, such as the lungs or the brain, it can be fatal.
5: I expected that once I got the implants out, that I would be cured.
1: But even with the implants out, Susie is not in the clear. Dr. Kolb gives Susie antifungal medication to kill the aspergillus and cleanse her body of the toxins.
12: The patient has a lot of biotoxin to get out of their body. So we have to start a biotoxin detox to help get that out. It felt like a massive dose of poison. It hurts so
5: much.
1: At home, Susie continues the medication for eight difficult
8: weeks and slowly returns to her former self. Breast implants are often filled with a saline fluid. This fluid is usually harmless, but if the implant ruptures or if a valve is faulty, the fluid can become contaminated with the aspergillus fungus. When this happens, toxins from the fungus leach out of the implant, wreaking havoc across the body.
12: In Susie's case, mold was breathed in, got into the bloodstream and landed on the implant and then got in through a leaky valve.
5: I absolutely regret getting the breast implants. It was the stupidest decision that I have ever made.
11: With her symptoms at bay, Susie reconnects with Tom. I was totally surprised to hear from Susie. I never would have suspected breast implants. I'm just glad they're gone. And they soon rekindled their relationship.
5: I'm very happy to have Tom back in my life. She's been wonderful.
1: Though the aspergillus inside her has been killed, her immune system has been stretched to its limit.
12: Because she was so sensitive, it didn't take much mold to continue her symptoms.
1: And because of this, she has had to make a drastic lifestyle change.
5: My sensitivity is so high that I have to avoid mold. And it's to the point where I can't live or work indoors anymore. I had to leave my home. So now I live in a 21-foot camper.
1: Because her new camper is mostly made of metal and plastic, it's less susceptible to mold.
12: She will need to deal with these symptoms the rest of her life. This is an ongoing battle.
5: I don't know how it's going to turn out.
11: This is the person that I love. This is the person that I'm gonna stand by and go through this battle with. We'll figure it out. There are more than
8: 300,000 breast augmentation surgeries performed in the U.S. each year, and up to 20% of breast implants fail within 10 years. People who already have breast implants should get them checked regularly and have them replaced every 10 years. And those considering saline breast implants should be aware that there can be serious medical complications associated with them.
1: For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash me.